0: As I was getting ready to get back up here I was just thinking about an occasion just not too long ago at a a funeral a lady came up to me after the funeral and she said you know you got up about three times to speak at that funeral which is not unusual at a funeral and she said and the third time you got up she thought oh no not again. Does that happen on Sunday morning? Not a chance, does it? I'm glad to see you this morning. I hope you're glad to see me. I hope because I'm glad to be here and I hope you are glad to be here in this time together. Some of the young people and Kyle have gone to an event today and they'll be back this afternoon to share with us this evening in our, in our service. But we're glad that they could take part in some of the youth activities around the area. I, I want to just mention very briefly, and I did not, I failed to put it in the bulletin or put it in the announcements for Kevin, but uh, the the annual epic uh, activity, I don't know what you call it, it's not a seminar exactly, but a get-together program, whatever it is, is this Friday evening and Saturday, and some of our young people involved in that, leading songs, scripture reading, prayers and, and sermons and so forth. And, and some of that will present at a later time here in the service, some of the boys will be able to get up and lead their songs and preach their sermons and so forth for us, and they always do a very nice job, and and it's an encouraging thing. I just wanted you to be aware of that, and of course you can go to, it takes place at the more central church building, much of it on Saturday, and you're welcome to come and and watch some of the things that take place if you want to, but I just wanted you to be aware, young people are involved in that, and that is taking place this coming, uh, this next Friday and Saturday. So let's talk about when something is worth it, what we have is worth it. And I want to get into a point, and I want you to, this is something I've just been thinking about, and, and I hope it has value to you, because I believe it does to me. As we we go through life, we sometimes wonder, is it really worth it? And we'll get back to that in a moment. But I'm drawing from 1 Peter, and my, so my mind has been on Peter this week, 1 Peter chapter 1 In reading the scripture that is there, reading verses 3 through 9 of 1 Peter chapter 1, I think Peter touches on what we need to remember in this. If you'd like to read along with me, Blessed, he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. Though you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And that last line is the one that is the clincher and the salvation of your souls. It's interesting when you read this that Peter talks about how great and how wonderful God is, and yet he gets into it and says, yet we still, we got some real struggles, some real problems that we're having to face in life and things that we're having to deal with, but don't let it get you down because... When you get through it all and you see what all is there and what he's given us, we've got something that's never going to fade away, and it gets down to the salvation of your souls. Every now and then we sing the old spiritual song, There is a Balm in Gilead, once in a while. I think it's one Josh used to like to lead a lot. But it offers that familiar feeling, I think, that we're talking about this morning. The familiar feeling we're talking about this morning, when the line of the song says, sometimes I get discouraged or feel discouraged and think my works in vain. But then, depending on your rendition of the song, the Holy Spirit or God's Holy Spirit revives my soul again. I think almost any of us can relate to that wonder now. And then we don't like to admit it, but we relate to that wonder about whether the things that we're dealing with, the things that we're facing, the things that are challenging us in our lives... Make our life have real value or the reason why we're enduring them. For at such times, we need a reminder and we need a reassurance. Don't you sometimes need a reassurance? I know I do. I need something to kind of kick me every now and then and remind me. I need that reminder every now and then. God's in control, buddy. God's got it. You just stay faithful to him and the Lord has it. So, maybe we're a little hesitant, though. We're hesitant to confront God or deal with the life in that way. feel like it's improper for us to do that in that way. But we may be hesitant then to ask the question, is it worth it? Is it worth it? Is it worth it to set aside personal desires in favor of following the Lord? We don't want to ask that question, but it's an age-old question. It's been around from the beginning of time. Still, people have followed dreams of far lesser things set aside other things, and I faced great challenges to pursue those dreams. People flocked to the gold fields of California from all over the United States and the country, and remember how they had to travel then in the mid-1800s, and the distances and how hard it was and the hardships they faced, and those that didn't make it, they still tried to make the journey, and others that actually made the journey, very few of them ever saw much gold out of it. Was it really worth it? A few became rich, but most found very little gold. Or just consider the people who simply traveled west and northwest to find a new life, to find new land and new opportunities. Many of them died along the way. Many of them got there only to return home because they didn't find anything better where they went. Was it really worth it? We might be reminded that even the Israelites, that even the Israelites when they had escaped Egypt, when they had gone out of Egypt and really hadn't traveled very far, began to wonder, is it really worth it? Even after the Red Sea and the parting of the waters and the drowning of Pharaoh and his army? Even after all of that, they still wonder, was it worthwhile? Couldn't we have just stayed in Egypt this way? It's not an unusual question. It's not even a bad question. It's a natural question. Is it worth it? Have we really found something that is worth it? I think Peter answers in part that question for us. I think he gives us some insight. And the answer, of course, is yes, it is worth it. Whatever we face, it's worth it. Paul even states it several times. He knows it's worth it. What does Peter tell us? He reminds us in the beginning God has begotten us. He has begotten us. And that old word begotten we don't use much anymore. You have to read an old translation of the scriptures and you find that word begotten in there. But it's a good word. God has begotten us. What does it mean? It means we are his children. But that word children and family maybe maybe that's something we kind of tend to diminish, take for granted. Because you think about it, when children are born into a family, or they, they become a part of that family, that family gets together. Sometimes we even as adults, we just kind of tend to take for granted that we are family. And the children of the family just take for granted that's the way things are. You know, it's mom, dad, or whatever. And we got this together, grandma and grandpa. Uh, they're not important, but anyway. Maybe we learn, maybe we learn, but quite often we just think, well, that's just the way things are. Mom and dad, we're supposed to take care of the kids, deal deal with things. It is a matter of love, but even that can sometimes be taken for granted. But what he's trying to get across is we are his children and that is a valuable thing. If I mention those Israelites, again, the Israelites were big on family and lineage, I'm not talking about how well they loved their children, but they were big on their lineage and being a part of a family tied to a particular tribe of a certain line within that tribe. And they took great pride in being able to recognize that. And sometimes if you couldn't trace your lineage, if you couldn't associate yourself and find your lineage going back, hopefully all the way back to Abraham, if you couldn't find it, then you just kind of say, well, you're kind of on the outside, buddy. You really can't associate with us. I think about it. In the book of Nehemiah, when they found those priests that couldn't trace their lineage, they were just kind of pushed aside and weren't able to take part in the services of the tabernacle or anything like that at that point, or temple at that point. Wow. Well, if you don't have your lineage. But they weren't the first to find it. Even Abraham was was uh, was placing the importance on his lineage when he's confronted by the lord and he says i'm going to make you a father of a great nation and and he looks and says well i don't even have any children i don't have any children I, i've got a servant that's going to be the heir i guess in in my household and god said that's not going to be the case You're going to have a child, but but Abraham was worried about that when God is talking. That's in Genesis 15 when God is talking to him about this. He wants to make sure he truly has a biological lineage, a, a family tie that goes down that way. And when his son grows up, and when his son grows up, not long after he loses his wife, after Sarah dies, and so his son is about 37 plus years old. He sends a servant to find a wife for his son. Now, that's a kind of outside our normal pattern of doing things, and we don't necessarily understand this, but he said, I don't want him to marry one of these pe- women here. I don't want him to marry a Canaanite. I want him to marry somebody of our lineage. That was how important family was to them. Don't miss the the, the proper tone of this. It wasn't that... Su- the supreme nature of one race or one tribe over another, but he wanted it within the family. It was a family relationship, and they had a little different perspective then that we do today, but that we are recognized, that we are recognized as his children is what John calls a recognition of his love. 1 John 3 and verse 1, behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us. What That we should be called his children. His children, we're his family in that regard. Romans 8 bears it out when he says we have been made a part of his family whereby we can cry, Abba, my father, my father. We have a relationship with him. And I think we understand that there is something unique about the family relationship." We treasure it. We make it important. We recognize it's different than all other relationships that we have in the world. That family relationship is unique. We may struggle and argue among ourselves, brothers and sisters and family members. We may may rage at one another from time to time, but let somebody outside the family come in and do that. Everybody joins against that person. Just try that, if you will. In other words, a, a mother may chastise her children, but somebody else better not do it. It's family. That's the way relationships are within family. And what uh, Peter is telling us here is we are given a life, a life that has hope, a life that has relationship. You think about it when we are small children and we, we have something that scares us. Maybe we're young and we're scared. There is nothing more comforting. There is nothing more comforting to a small child that a parental, a father's hand. It takes him and suddenly everything in the world is secure. And that's what Peter is getting at here. We know that he will be there for us. We know this and we know that he is our father. It's not something small. It's not something to be taken for granted. It's, something, it's not something that's not worth it because he has begotten us into family. And Secondly, within that family, there is an inheritance. He's got something for us. There is an inheritance. And I know we inherit a lot from our parental line. Sometimes it's things we don't like. You know, genetics are what they are. We don't get to pick and choose. You just take the whole lot as it comes your way. But we're also given, and and sometimes that's great too, but we're also given history. We're given a place where we live, the circumstances of our lives. The things that we share together, the things that are important. Much of our thinking about the world and how we see it and what's important and what's not important is shaped within that family. There are, I know, lasting possessions, physical possessions, that are left to us as reminders and benefits and hopefully a lot of money, but we do share an inheritance. We understand that. We understand that. But what Peter says, he gives us an inheritance. An inheritance that is, notice what he says, incorruptible, undefiled, and does not fade. It doesn't diminish in any way. Its value is not diminished. It is, doesn't become smaller. It's not something you put in the bank or in a vault of security. It's there. It's real. It's out there. It belongs to us. It's a value that's not diminished by use or by time. And while it is shared broadly among so many, it's unlike any other inheritance, physical inheritance we might think about. It's not diminished by splitting it among others. It is an inheritance of love. And while you can spread love as far as you want to spread it, it doesn't get smaller as it goes to each and every one, and we look at this inheritance, it's kept, it's held, and, and it cannot be touched by human hands, it or seen by human eyes. But it is still that very precious thing, and there's something to think about within that. We might contrast it to so many others, and I was thinking about the Hope Diamond. You can go to the Smithsonian, and you can see this diamond, and, and thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people go by, and they see this thing, and it's been moved from time to time, and it's had, I, I forget, 20 or so owners over its many years, but for, for uh the last 60, about 60 years it's been on display there in that museum. And people go by and look at that thing and see that blue diamond there. And it's, it, I think, 14 half carats or something like that. You know, you put that around your neck, you're going to have to bend over to carry it. But beautiful, wonderful. But it's seen by so many. And you know what? We went to see it one time, or more than once, but saw it there. Looked at it, uh-huh. Walk by, see it sitting on its stand and, and look at it. You say, okay, and then you move on to the next thing. That's not the kind of inheritance we've got here. We've got an inheritance that, that cannot be touched, cannot be held in that way, cannot be passed by in that way because it has an anticipation, and that anticipation of reality increases that sense of greatness in that inheritance. There is an inheritance that is ours. and Notice what he gets down to, as I said, that last line. The salvation of your soul. How precious it is. And throughout the whole ordeal, throughout the whole ordeal, it comes back to, and the thirdly, there is a guardianship and a protection of us, of that inheritance, of that relationship that we have with him. Notice what we're told again and again in the scriptures. Notice what Jesus tells us at the end of his ministry. Before he leaves his disciples, I'll stand by you. Almost made you want to sing, didn't it? I'll stand by you. You know, I love the movie in the book, To Kill a Mockingbird. Great piece of literature, great movie. Love the movie, loved the book, both of them. It's almost unusual for the book and the movie to both hold such a powerful place, but I love both of those, and if you haven't seen the old movie, you need to go see the movie. I keep telling Kyle that. I said, Kyle, you need to see this old movie. This one and many others. He's young and ignorant and everything else. He's not here, so I'll pick on him. No, he just, some of the things of my generation he hasn't seen, and that's fine. But I think about that, and, and in that... kill a mockingbird in the last of the very last of the book if you remember what it says as as jim has been injured and scout is supposedly writing all of this and he's been brought to his room and atticus is there and it says an atticus he would be in jim's room all night and he would be there when jim waked up in the morning don't you love that line Isn't that powerful? Isn't that great? And God is there with us. The Lord is there with us. And lo, I am with you always. That was the words of Jesus. And I'll be there when you waked up in the morning. When I was a student at college, if you attended the last chapel service, they had chapel every day near the mid Midday, they had chapel service, and you go to the chapel every day. And the last song that would be sung in the last chapel service in May at the end of the school year always the song leader would lead, God be with you till we meet again. And when you get a thousand or two thousand young voices singing that together, that'll, that'll choke you up, bring a few tears to your eyes, but it's a great reminder. Because, as I said, wasn't that the promise of Jesus? Lo, Matthew 28, 20, Lo, I am with you always. And later Paul would write in that great passage in Romans 8, If God be for us. If God be for us, who can be against us? Go back and read 1 Samuel 17. Find David going out into that field. When he goes out in the battlefield against that giant, who does he take with him? I come to you in the name of the Lord. Daniel knew he could face the giant, not the giant, he was facing the lions. Daniel knew he could face the lions because he knew the Lord was with him. And you can go through the list and you can find so many others. Read through Hebrews 11 and all those people of faith, what were they saying? God is with me. Even the enemies of the apostles bringing them before the great council, the same one that had brought about the death of Jesus, bringing them before the council. They hesitated. They hesitated. At Gamaliel's advice, they hesitated at the standing against God. If God's with them, we can't be standing against this. There is a guardianship and a protection that is there. And finally, there is that full and final revelation. The preacher should never say finally. (laughs) But finally, there is a full and final revelation. It ceases to be a prospect to be later understood because Peter says it is our reality. Yes, I know there are things yet to be unfolded. Yes, I know there are things yet to be known. But Peter says it's our reality. It ceases to be a prospect to be later understood. Yes, there are things that are yet to be fulfilled, but he's telling us this is where we belong now. This is what we have now. This is what makes our life, whatever we surrender, whatever comes our way, whatever challenges are ours, this is what makes it valuable. And yes, what we can know we have eternal life, 1 John 5 and verse 13, there still remains some things to be seen. And Paul says we're seeing things through a glass, but we have in our hearts, our minds, and our faith, a confirmed salvation. Where we are, where we are in reality, is perhaps a bit like hearing that a loved one survived a tragic or terrible event. And yet we know we will see the person in the flesh down the way. So Peter wanted his readers assured. He wanted to assure them, even you and me today in prospect, he wanted us to understand what, whatever we face in life, whatever challenges we meet, What God has for us today and yet to be in Christ is more than worth whatever we face. So I leave you with the words of Paul. In Romans 8 and verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us I think Paul and Peter were the same mind and if and if we are thinking we too are of that same mind we'll sing this song of encouragement this morning Perhaps there's someone who needs to obey the gospel or you have another need to make known this morning. The opportunity to do so is before you at this very time. Things are in readiness. Opportunity is here. If you need our prayers, if something in your life brings you to need to come publicly today, please let us assist you in doing that while we stand and while we sing the song together.